Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. Now, can we be honest? Um, I think a lot of us probably have been put off over the years from reading the book of Revelation because it seems so incredibly confusing, surreal, and just plain weird. And I think the passage that Kara has read brilliantly for us, on the surface at least, certainly seems to back up that kind of a view, doesn't it? But at a moment in history where the world seems to be unraveling in absolute turmoil, where chaos and fear are increasingly bombarding us from our news feeds, and so many of the things that over the years we've invested our hope in are suddenly crumbling and being dismantled all around us. I think deep down what we desperately want to know is whether everything is going to be okay. And so what we do is we frantically scour our social media feeds. We increasingly listen attentively to the opinions of journalists all the time, deep down, hoping desperately for some reassurance. And what happens is our emotions get pulled one way or another, really depending on the mood of the voices that we're listening to on any given day, none of whom actually really know how things are going to work out in the end. What chapters like the one we've just heard, Revelation chapter 6, What chaps like this provide us with is actually this deep and profound insight into what is happening in the world around us from God's perspective. What it does is it lifts us out of this current chaos, out of this current moment, and reveals where things are ultimately heading. And so, If you're here today and you want to know whether everything is going to be okay, anyone interested in finding out? Well, the answer, ready for it, the answer we see here in this passage is a resounding yes and no, which doesn't seem particularly helpful, does it? But what I want to try and show you in the time that remains this morning is that actually this is what we most need to hear. Let's begin with the bad news. The unavoidable message of this chapter, in case you missed it, is that everything is not going to be okay. As these seals are opened uh, on the scroll, remember from last time, uh, the scroll reveals... God's purpose and plan unfolding in the world, his purpose, his plan to bless and to judge. As the seals are opened, a series of seven plagues are unleashed on the world. First four are the infamous four horsemen of the apocalypse who represent the major players in suffering and pain and death among humankind. First up, is the white horse bringing external conquest. Verse 1, as I watched, the lamb broke the first of the seven seals on the scroll. Then I heard one of the four living beings say with a voice like thunder, come. I looked up 
and saw a white horse standing there. His rider carried a bow and a crown was placed on his head. He rode out to win many battles and gain the victory. Now look, there is a whole lot of debate as to who the rider of the white horse actually is. Is it Jesus himself? Is it someone pretending to be Jesus? Or is it merely symbolizing the many power-hungry warmongers who have wreaked havoc down through history? And uh, I have read many, many people who all present these compelling arguments for each of those different positions, and I'm really none the wiser. So if you're looking for an answer on that one, I might have an opinion, but I'm not going to go down uh, that rabbit hole right now, because really at the end of the day, they're all saying the same thing, that we can expect conflict and war in the world around us, which is pretty accurate, isn't it? I mean, there hasn't been a time in the last 2,000 years where there haven't been wars or rumors of wars. Just to bring this right up to date, last week uh, there were 531 recorded military battles being fought around the world. Things fair to say, the white horse and its rider show no sign of abating anytime soon. Then there's the red horse, bringing external, or sorry, not external, but internal conflict. Verse 3, when the lamb broke the second seal, I heard the second living being saying, come, Then another horse appeared, a red one this time. Its rider was given a mighty sword and the authority to take peace from the earth. And there was war and there was slaughter everywhere. Now why is the horse red? What made it this color? Well, presumably it was the blood of people killing each other. This isn't so much the bloodshed from the invasion of a foreign army. It's more the civil unrest and conflict breaking out in the nations of the world. Which, once again, sadly rings true, doesn't it? Whenever you watch the news, there's sure to be a report of a murder or a violent demonstration that has resulted in bloodshed. People hate and kill one another. It's been a bitter, bitter reality of the world since Cain killed his brother Abel way back at the very beginning. Next, there's a black horse bringing famine and scarcity. Verse 5, when the lamb broke the third seal, I heard the third living being say, come. I looked up and saw a black horse, and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice from among the four living beings saying, a loaf of wheat bread or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay. And don't waste the olive oil and wine. Picture here is of food shortages fueling inflation so that a daily wage is just enough to buy bread for the day. And then fourthly, the pale green horse brings widespread death. Verse 7, when the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living being say, come. I looked up and saw a horse whose color was pale green. His rider was named Death, and his companion was the grave. These two were given authority over a quarter of the earth to kill with the sword 
and famine and disease and wild animals. Now look, none of these four realities of the world we live in should surprise us. This isn't news for us. The imagery admittedly is weird, but the events sadly are very normal. It should still leave us shocked and appalled, but war and conflict, famine and disease, deadly plagues and deaths, tragically they're commonplace in our broken world. And really, the last couple of years that we've lived through have brought all of this much closer to home for us, haven't they? It's no longer a problem kind of out there somewhere. Now, on the back of a global pandemic that's taken the lives of over six and a half million people worldwide, the war in Ukraine has taken the lives of at least 6,000 civilians. The growing threat of nuclear weapons being deployed, and of course the cost of living crisis, I think we're all more acutely aware than ever of the sheer fragility of life. I'm sure we'd all agree that John's vision is an incredibly accurate picture of the world in which we live. But there's worse to come. As the Lamb opened the first four seals, we heard, didn't we, the cry from the four living beings. When the fifth seal is opened, we hear a human cry. The cry of the martyrs calling out for justice on those who had killed them. Verse 9. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. They shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they've done to us? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and they were told to rest a little longer until the final number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus who were to be martyred, had joined them. There were so many people who John, who was receiving this vision, so many people he knew and loved who had lost their lives because of their faith in Jesus. People like Peter, James, Stephen. And the threat was a growing reality for those reading these words back in the first century. Remember, Jesus, hadn't he, had told his followers to expect to be persecuted. In the upper room, the night before he was crucified, he'd said to them, a servant isn't greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. And again, these words still ring true today. Open doors report that one in eight Christians around the world are currently, today, facing persecution. Each day, an average of 13 believers are killed directly because of their faith in Jesus. These aren't mere statistics. These are real people with real families being brutally victimized simply for being followers of Jesus. Now, faced with all of this, 
I think we would do well to join the prayer of the martyrs crying out to God, how long? But the answer that comes back is a little longer. We have to wait a little longer for the day that's depicted in the opening of the sixth seal. The opening of the sixth seal is a revelation of the final judgment day. Verse 12, I watched as the Lamb broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. The sun became as dark as black cloth, and the moon became as red as blood. Then the stars of the sky fell to the earth like green figs falling from a tree shaken by a strong wind. The sky was rolled up like a scroll, and all of the mountains and islands were moved from their places. Then everyone, the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, and every slave and free person all hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they cried to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to survive? I think we're meant to feel the horror of this scene. Judgment Day will be utterly terrifying. Everything's going to be shaken. Nothing will be the same again. Earlier, we we heard the martyrs in heaven praying. Here we see humanity on earth praying, not to God, but to the mountains and the rocks, begging them to fall and crush them. It's like they'd rather die than stand before the throne of God that they've rebelled their whole lives against. It's like they'd, they'd rather die than come face to face with the Lamb whose blood they've ridiculed and rejected. That The day they laughed about and labeled as just ridiculous will become their inescapable reality that they'll be desperate to find an answer to the all-important question they should have sought an answer to far sooner. But by then, it will be too late. And then comes the seventh and final seal. When the seventh seal is open, there is silence in heaven. Chapter 8, verse 1. When the Lamb broke the seventh seal on the scroll, there was silence throughout heaven for about half an hour. When God's judgment is revealed, we have nothing to say. In that moment, there are no excuses, no mitigating circumstances, no words to offer in our defense. To quote an old Shona proverb, what we cannot speak about we must pass over in silence. Sometimes it's very tempting, isn't it, to try and explain and justify everything we read in Revelation, when in reality, the right response should be silence, awe, fear, even dread. Now, although it would be very appropriate to sit in silence and reflect on this for the next half an hour, I'm going to give you half a minute 
to ponder what you just heard. Maybe consider how it's making you feel. We start to kind of think, well, what are some of the questions it brings to mind? What, what response might this call for? And just say this isn't the end of the talk. There is some good news that we're going to get to. But having heard everything we've just heard, it would be wrong to race on. And so I'm going to give you 30 seconds, half a minute, just to sit in silence. If it helps to close your eyes, just reflect on what you've just heard. I'm guessing there are a whole range of feelings in the room, maybe from apathy, hopefully not apathy, but some maybe apathy, all the way through to fear. This is a frightening passage. As well as a range of feelings, there are like to be a whole host of different questions as well. Like, well, who is the rider of the white horse? And what was the issue with wasting the olive oil and the wine? And then there's the question right at the very end of the passage, which seems the most pertinent question of all. In light of all of this, who is able to survive? Now, if you come back next week, we will answer that particular question in full. But there's something else I want to focus on in the time that remains today. I don't know if you notice this, but there's something really surprising going on in this passage all of these judgments unleashed on the world, I don't know if you noticed, they are under the control of the Lord Jesus. These horsemen, representing war, civil unrest, economic hardship, death, they're all summoned by one of the four living beings. If you remember, we, we met them last week, didn't we, as we took in the scene surrounding the throne in heaven. They're the attendants of Jesus on his throne. And they're the ones who summon the horses and their riders. It's not Satan who unleashes them. That They don't come at the bidding of the enemies of God. They come at the bidding of Jesus himself. And the last couple of verses in the chapter, really they ram this home to us. Because what do the kings, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the, the powerful, the slaves and the free cry out, as they hide in their caves. They say, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. And that's a very uncomfortable phrase for us, I think. It's only a strange image as we, we tend to equate lambs with being cuddly, harmless, soft, and safe. And if you know the theological connotations, lambs tend to denote sacrifice, so there can be forgiveness and peace, mercy and grace. Jesus is depicted as a lamb in the book of Revelation because he is the saviour. And yet here in chapter 6, it is the lamb himself who is angry. That seems to be why there are wars. 
Because Jesus is sending them. That's why there's unrest. Jesus is giving us over to unrest. He is in some way removing peace from us. Jesus said, didn't he? Don't think I've come to bring peace on the earth, but division. That's why there's hardship. That's why there's death. That's why, dare I say, there's been a global pandemic. In Romans 1, Paul describes how judgment isn't just something that will happen at the end of time, but that even now, a world that has rejected and rebelled against God is being handed over to experience just a foretaste of his judgment. And that's what I think we're seeing when the living beings in Revelation 6 call these horses and their riders to come and unleash havoc on the earth. Now, what are we to make of all of this? How do we begin to wrap our heads around what we see here? Well, the the more observant ones in the room may recall that about 20 minutes ago, I suggested that there was some good news lurking in this chapter, that as well as warning us that things certainly are not going to be okay, and I trust we've got that message, these verses also contain hope that things will be okay in the end. Now, having listened to everything so far, you'd be forgiven for thinking I might be completely deluded at this point. But if you'll at least bear with me, I want to finish this off by showing you the positive perspective that this chapter provides for us. So here's the good news. First of all, what this chapter shows us is that regardless of everything that's going on in the world around us, God has always been in control. You know, sometimes we have this view of God, don't we, where he's this helpless bystander who wishes things were going better on the earth but can't really help. And we pray to him, and he kind of does his best to intervene and do something about the problem, but it feels like he's fighting a losing battle. That is not the picture we get here. All the time, he is in the control room. He's the one at whose word these things are unleashed. Nothing happens without his permission. The evils of war and unrest, economic desperation, death, they are not uncontrolled or unguided. No, they are overseen, boundaried, limited by God. And secondly, there is a purpose. When the fifth seal is opened, we see those who have been martyred for their faith in Jesus crying out to God, asking, how long? I think probably all of us, haven't we? Had times in our lives when we've longed for God to bring an end to something. And just by way of an aside, there is an assumption here, it is okay to pray those kind of prayers, and reassuringly that God listens and responds to the cries of his people. But, 
the answer that often comes back from God is wait a little longer, which would be incredibly frustrating if there wasn't also a purpose for the delay. The reason he tells his people to be patient as they wait is for the complete number of Christians to lay down their lives for the gospel and for the complete number of unbelievers to be saved. Listen, the reality of judgment around us should wake us up to the awfulness of the full judgment to come and fuel a newfound urgency in us to do all we can to rescue the people around us from this final judgment while there is still time. Let me say that again. The reality of judgment around us should wake us up to the awfulness of the full judgment to come and fuel a newfound urgency to do all we can to rescue the people around us from this final judgment while there is still time. Let me say that one more time in case you missed it the first two times. The reality of the judgment around us should, must, wake us up to the awfulness of the full judgment to come and fuel a newfound urgency to do all we can to rescue the people around us from this final judgment while there is still time. One more point I want to make, but I want to pray at this moment and ask the Spirit of God to drill this message into our hearts so that we're compelled to go from this place different. Okay, so I'm going to pray. Spirit of God, recognize these are hard words. Don't be flippant about this. This is a hard, hard message. But Spirit of God, would you cause these words to wake us up from a peacetime mentality where we go about our lives concerned with things that are so trivial and eternally irrelevant. Spirit of God, would you wake us up today to the stakes and how high they really are. Would you show us that in the midst of the chaos around us, there are broken, hurting people who need to be rescued? And would you show us that you've entrusted to us a message that brings life and hope and peace? Holy Spirit, would you cause us not to switch off from the shock and also not to switch off from the fact we have a role to play in rescue here. I pray for a new urgency, a new courage, new fearsomeness. No wonder, not longer worried about what people might think of us. No longer holding back in case we offend. New urgency to, to hold out the message of life to a world that's dying. Spirit of God, would you do what I can't do? Do you do what words are unable to do? Would you drill this into our hearts? The new urgency that carries us for the rest of our lives, I pray. Amen. Amen. Look, this chapter 
is, is not meant to give us false hope that our suffering is going to decrease or disappear. No, that would be the wrong message to hear. But at the same time, it is intended to stir up our resolve to keep persevering in faith. There is purpose as we wait. My appeal would be, do not waste it. And thirdly and finally, there will be an end. God has always been in control. There is a purpose. There will be an end. As we read this chapter 2,000 years after it was written, probably can't help but wonder how this stretch of time, 2,000 years, could be considered a little longer. Waiting for God to act, waiting for him to set all things right, can seem so very long that we're perhaps tempted to wonder if that day will ever really come. But we can be assured that the question, how long, will one day be answered to the full satisfaction of every believer who has ever cried out in desperation to God. Listen, God has set a day when he will set all things right. The suffering of God's people has a very exact expiry date. There will be an end to these troubles. No longer will dictators ride out to spread their tyranny and conquest. No longer will the nations study war. There will be no more famine, no more cancer, no more depression, no more mental illness, no more death. When the voice comes from the throne declaring it is done, in that moment, everything will change. The universe will be regenerated. The world will be renewed. King Jesus will ride out victorious to establish his rule, and his people will reign with him forever. As we're going to see, in the weeks and months to come, Revelation goes on to describe all of this in great detail. Although we live right now through the wars and the agonies and the disasters, and it is painful, our sure and certain hope is always in the truth that a new world is coming and the king is coming back. That however bad things get, and they may well get worse first, there will be an end. And so as I wrap up, this vision in Revelation is there to give a different lens on history to our social media feeds and the news we watch every day, a different understanding of our circumstances, one that has Jesus very much at the center of it all, one where the clock is ticking down, the hourglass is running down until the end when the victory, his victory, will be seen by all. It's not that Jesus goes... COVID, what am I going to do? The war in Ukraine, I didn't expect that. Cost of living crisis, I think we're all doomed. No, it's Jesus telling the world through all of this to wake up. How long, O oh Lord? And he replies, just a little while longer. And the fact there is still time provides opportunity to do all we can to invite others not just to join us in being rescued from the judgment to come, but to join us in the glorious hope of a new heaven and earth where everything will finally be put right. Now our time's gone.
But as we've been seeing in this series, there is the promise of blessing from Jesus for those who hear the message and apply it. And so for the next 30 seconds before Rach pops up and closes the meeting, I just want you to sit and consider, okay, what have I heard today? What is Jesus saying to me? And then what do I need to do as a result? 30 seconds, then over to Rachel.